Something some of you might struggle with early in production is tip atrophy, often called tip abortion, which may actually be a misnomer. This is when you see symptoms during propagation, often on calibrachoa or petunia, where it looks like the cuttings were accidentally pinched, but you know they weren't. Poor rooting, stunted growth, and strappy foliage can also cause you to wonder what the heck is going on. To answer that question, I'm happy to welcome back Dr. Will Healy. And Will, as I was poking through your slides on tip atrophy, it became kind of apparent that this issue can be triggered by a handful of different occurrences in propagation and doesn't always affect the entire crop. No wonder it's so frustrating for growers. Yeah, and you know, this is one of those um, problems that some growers see it sometimes, but not always. They see it at certain stages, certain times of the year, certain crops, and then they don't see it. And so they're kind of lost as to what really is causing this? How did it happen? Why are we talking about it? And then there's other people who every single year have the problem and can never figure out what causes it. So this is kind of a really kind of crazy problem, this um, tip atrophy, sometimes referred to as tip abortion. Um, but we're going to talk about that today and try to help demystify how did I do that? Because this is one of, another one of those problems that I've dealt with over the years that usually raises its head about week 10 of the calendar year. Very weird, Bill. You can pretty much set a clock to, okay, we're nine, week nine, week 10, week 11, and the phone calls would start coming in saying, hey, my, my, my plants aren't growing. I just transplanted and they're not growing out. Or I've in my height am I ready to start um, shipping plugs or I'm ready to start using my plugs and I've got all of these bad plugs in here that aren't going to work. What do I do about it? And of course, fortunately, we're having this um, conversation back in like um, week four, week five, when really people who understand this can see it and know it. They can then all go, oh, I'm walking into this problem. Let's fix it now. And that's why it's called atrophy, Bill. Because atrophy is just basically a decline in growth. And you can resume growth if you remove the trigger event, which we'll talk about, or apply the corrective um, material, the micronutrients, boron or copper or even calcium, to basically prevent that from happening so severely. So we, this is a problem that can be fixed. So let's, should we talk about this a little bit more, Bill? I think so, and I think you, you set us up really well for this discussion because there are potential solutions as long as you understand the cause. So why don't you go ahead and take it away, and I'll jump in if I have any questions. Perfect. So the first thing you have to run, understand is this tip atrophy occurs in a wide range of crops. You know, we see it in petunias, we see it in calibrachol, they're both solanaceous products, but you can see it in snapdragons. Um, so angelonia, where all of a sudden you see there aren't any flowers on the spike or the, the, the tip um, is aborted out. So this can happen in a wide range of crops. It's not that uncommon. I've seen it in any number of different crops where you have abnormal flowers form or you have unusual um, growing points. So this is really um, a conversation we're going to have today is really going to be focusing on petunias because that's the one that most of the people see it on. But it is common in a wide range of crops. So let's keep that in mind. So 
we have different types of the occurrence of this tip abortion. It can be pervasive, where the majority of the, crop, the plants are affected at one time or continuously over an extended period of time. So it's very pervasive, so you see it all the time. We also talk about transient, and this is the one that's really weird, Bill. We see it in a crop that we sowed in week four, but we didn't see it in three, and we don't see it in five, but it shows up in six, and, we're, and we don't see it in um, seven, but we see it in so week eight. So you see it sometimes, we see it not. You see it in some plants within a tray, and in some plants are perfectly normal. So you see it in all different um, times and stages, and this is the one that's most confusing to people, but once I think we're done with what are some of the trigger events, you'll be able to very easily see, oh, well that trigger event occurred at this point in time, which caused these to happen. It also is random, and this is probably the, um, the other end of pervasive. Pervasive is like all the plants. Random is some, but not all. And usually at some stage of development, and one of the things that we're gonna use to help identify this is leaf counting. You count the number of leaves that are normal, and then when you see the abnormal leaf, you can trace back in time exactly when this happened. So we'll talk a little bit about this. So if you talk to or read the literature, anyone that has talked about tip abortion, they always say it's a nutritional deficiency. And from a physiological, technical um, standpoint, that is true. Um, it basically, it can be due to boron, which gives you this stubby, distorted new growth, stems are brittle, and new leaves may be thickened. So it's very important to think about this. It can also be doing to, due to calcium, and calcium is involved with cell formation. Think of it as the mortar between the cells. So normally we see this along the margin of the leaves um, and causing some of that distortion. And finally, um, you can see it as copper. Copper basically gives you cupping, it gives you chlorosis. Um, born, you usually don't see chlorosis, they just get, they're green and they're just um, distorted and brittle. But copper, basically they can be um, chlorotic, can be either the whole leaf or between the veins of the new leaves. All of these, boron, calcium, and copper, affect young developing leaves during rapid cell division when leaves are basically um, forming and expanding. And that's why, you know, normally they'll say, oh, it's just boron. Well, yes and no. I think what's more important is understanding what are the trigger events. The trigger events are those events that basically occur that give you the problem. So high relative humidity or low vapor pressure deficit. So um, one of the things you have to remember about all three of these, boron, calcium, and copper, is they move in the water stream. So if you have high relative humidity, you're not going to be moving water from the roots up through the xylem and out through the um, stomata. So you're not, if you're not moving water, you're not moving boron, calcium, and copper. So you have very high relative humidity or low VPD, if that's what you're measuring, that can affect the movement of it, and that's probably the single most common reason why we have the problem, especially when we have transient or random. It's due to high vapor pressure or low vapor pressure deficit, high relative humidity. Also, if you have really high soil pH, high soil pH can tie up um, boron, calcium, and copper so that it's not available. So you might be moving a lot of water, 
but if you can't get it um, made available to the roots, it's not going to get up. So this movement through the plant is really critical. Also, light conditions. So if you have very high light conditions, you're going to have high transpiration rates, you're going to be moving a lot of water, and so therefore you're going to move a lot of the boron, calcium, and copper. If you have very low light conditions, you're just not going to be moving some. So this is why, Bill, you know, think about in the winter, especially in this year in um, 2024 where we've had um, a tremendous amount of rain, especially on the East Coast. What do you think the light conditions have been during this critical time of the year? And continuous for long periods of time. So this is where it's really important to make sure that you're not restricting the, um, it, the um, availability or movement of copper, um, boron, and calcium through the plants. This low transpiration rate can be changed very effectively within the greenhouse through air movement. So moving the leaves so that they just wiggle a little bit um, is great because it'll break the boundary level and helps move um, water through the plant. Also, why you see it in seedlings or early um, development of plants is that you have limited roots to take up this um, boron, calcium, and copper. So therefore, what you end up with is you don't have very much root surface area because it's very small roots, so that that's where you start running into problems. The other problem that you can run into is nutrient competition, where you basically have been playing around with your fertilizers and either you don't have enough or you have too much of something. So for example, calcium will block boron, calcium will block copper, cal so very high calcium levels. So if, you know, under high pH, you usually have high calcium, but if you're feeding a high calcium feed, 15015, 14014, or other high calcium fertilizers, those nutrients basically will tie, that calcium can tie up and make boron and copper not available to the plant, especially if they're at low levels. Finally, wet growing conditions, because at wet growing conditions, you don't end up with fuzzy, hairy roots. You end up with very um, water roots, and water roots are very inefficient at taking up the um, critical nutrients of boron, copper, and calcium. So therefore, if you pull, if you tend to be on the wet side, so you basically are maintaining a level four or, you know, saturated soils, guess what? You're just not going to take up calcium. So, you know, when you're propagating, and this is where we run into um, rooted cuttings that basically start showing it, especially you see it with um, Calibracoa, is that um, you end up with this really wet soil because you're misting, 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 and the soil's saturated. And so even though you might have gotten some roots out, they basically can't take it up because the, grow the roots are not developing that fuzzy system to take up nutrients. And also the last one, when you put on a lot of water, you um, leach nutrients. And um, quite frankly, boron is fairly leachable. And of course, we're not going to add a lot of boron to the fertilizer for a minute. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, but you, you basically end up with boron leached out, so there's just none there. So there's a lot of these um, intrinsic problems that you end up that actually set the system up to have the problem. Now... Let's talk a little bit um, about how we can try to figure out what is the clue to those triggers. How can we start sorting that out? Now, here's a word of caution. 
tissue analysis is really very misleading. For the longest time, we go, oh, just do tissue analysis. Well, if you take an entire, say, seedling, and you just cut it off at the soil line and send it in, you will never see boron deficiency, okay? Just won't. Why? It's because of dilution. The older foliage has got a lot of boron, the tip has none. You can basically go and take the tip out and just send those off. We've done that. And there you get these boron levels that are adequate for um, growth. And you kind of go like, well, this wasn't boron. The problem is, is that boron is very rapidly self-correcting. So at the moment that boron becomes deficient because of high relative humidity, for example, it's basically the tissue is deficient in boron and it locks up and is basically taken out. And so therefore, shortly thereafter, the sun comes out and boron starts moving and suddenly there's plenty of boron there. But because you have locked up those cells with a lack of boron, they just can't grow. So it's really important to understand that tissue analysis is misleading. You have to do this visually by looking at the symptoms and it's usually fairly straightforward. Let's talk about the different types because this is where the clue to the trigger is. Pervasive, this is where it's continuous. It's, it's atrophy at multiple stages of the development. So you can count the number of leaves on these plants and some plants have five leaves, some have four leaves, some have seven leaves. So, but notice um, there's even one plant kind of in the middle on the right hand side that it just, they basically, they're truly atrophied. They're kind of trying to grow, but they're not really, whereas others are totally locked up and not developing at all. So um, pervasive, normally you lock up the growing point. It's really hard to get it really restarted. And here's a good example. This was a grower um, that was growing plugs and they basically were not ventilating and there was literally fog in the greenhouse. You stood in the greenhouse and you looked through the greenhouse and it was literally a fog bank in there. And they pretty much locked up all of the seedlings as they were starting. Notice that the one in the background in the top right-hand corner has got four leaves, five leaves, whereas the ones in the front, basically they've got two or three. And these were all, some of them, um, in the um, same tray. And it all has to do with the different rate of germination and when they were actually hit with this pervasive lockup. And this is, of course, a very serious locking up, um, and this will be atrophied. Normally, they're normal. They're just not going to grow again because it's so strongly if we look at transient, here we have a good example of transient where they're starting to grow back out of it. They atrophied at um, one specific leaf stage and the plants do continue normal growth. If we take a look at a, um, a close-up of it, you can see the plants are resuming growth because we now either have the conditions are right, the environmental conditions, or we've applied supplemental boron to get it started. Random is probably the most difficult and we see this where you have a small percentage of them are atrophied. Um, and you have them at different stages of development. You can see some are really small, some of them are a little larger, some of them never experience it. And it all has to do with that root growth, the amount of root growth it is, whether the cells were excessively wet, whether you have um, other environmental conditions. So you can see different types of them, um, and that is one of the things. Remember that you want to count the number of leaves below the normal because that will help you identify when the event specifically happened. So let's talk a little bit more about um, our three nutrients. We normally just talk about boron, but calcium can be involved and also um, copper. Um, copper is normally not considered. Now, keep in mind that we normally have adequate boron, calcium, and copper under normal growing conditions to not have the problem. 
Because if that was always the problem, well, you'd have it under high light, low light, high relativity, low relativity, you'd have it all the time. But under normal growing conditions in the soil, in the water um, that you're using, there's adequate boron, calcium, and copper to satisfy the plant's needs. It's only when you start um, having these environmental triggers sitting on it that you start ending up with, notice in this picture you have a normal leaf, which was um, kind of a paddle, it's more of a spoon shape, whereas if you take a look at an abnormal, um, it has more of a canoe paddle. It's more of a um, long, elongated, um, very thin width, but in, compared to a normal. If we take a look at um, very early stages, which is what you want to be looking for right now in your greenhouse, is that you can start seeing a little bit more of this um, elongated paddle, um, canoe paddle look versus a spoon look where you have this wider, broader out on petunias. Um, when we start getting this really severe, this is when we start looking at this boron, calcium, and copper. Um, normal, look at the normal leaves. We've got like about three, four normal leaves, and then we end up with these very tightly locked up. Because the margins of these leaves that are abnormal are affected, that's the um, yellow arrow, that kind of suggests that we've got a calcium issue in here. The fact that we've got this um, complete distortion, the blue arrows pointing to a leaf, that suggests that we probably have copper. And the fact that the growing point has stopped um, expanding, that tells us that we probably have got boron. So this picture on the right-hand side is kind of the trifecta of the problem um, of nutrient deficiency. But now let's just talk a little about um, that remind us that it is present in the water and media for normal growth. So normally we don't worry about it. Normally the fertilizers have adequate amounts, but when we know we're going to have those environmental conditions, we do need to make sure that we add supplemental micronutrients, specifically boron is more critical than um, adding additional calcium or copper. Remember, a little bit is good, but what do we always say about too much, Bill? It's probably not good. And Actually, boron is an herbicide. It can cause serious um, problems. In fact, you know, if you were um, some, if you were to look at um, cockroach control, one of the um, organic methods um, is basically they use um, boric acid or um, borax as basically a um, a toxic poison to cockroaches um, in some countries. So you got to make sure that you use the correct amount, and we'll talk more about that. Remember that it moves from the roots to the growing tip, so a strong root system. Remember, fish grow in water, roots grow in. So we want to make sure that we're, move, we're moving our um, water um, set points from a level four down to a level two to get that air back in there so we can get a lot of growing, good growing points. Leaching and fertilizer application really does impact availability. So we really wanna make sure that we're applying the right fertilizers in the right amounts, and that means supplementing, and that we're, um, that we're not leaching it out. So regular fertilization is really important. For the formula you're using, the fertilizer formulation, has a huge difference on whether you're going to have the problem under um, bad environmental conditions or not. So let's take a look at this. And we're looking at um, basically a 2010-20 fertilizer formulation. Some people use this. These are standard bag mixes that come off the shelf. 
Um, and what we've done is we've calculated the parts per million in that particular bag. When you look at the water, um, them formulated at 200 parts per million. Now, of course, we're probably not going to be feeding at 200, but 200 parts per million, there is a in formulation A, company A bag, is 0.2 parts per million boron. Now, our recommended rate is 0.5, a half a part per million. That seems to be kind of a ballpark of not too much, not too little. I know some growers will go upwards to 0 0.8, 0 0.9. They don't want to go above one part per million. So 0.5 is kind of a safe zone. But 0.2, Bill, I think you can agree is like, what, half, less than half as much as you should have? Yeah, right? it seems a little bit low. Right, and the reason is is that that formulation basically is designed to assume that there's boron in the water that you're using, which a lot of waters do have boron, so that they stay within that 0.5. This is why you do need to do a water test with, without fertilizer and a water test with your fertilizer to know what you're using. But notice the fertilizer formulation B. This is a different company. They formulate it a little differently. Notice that they overall have a lot lower uh, micronutrients, but in the case of boron, it's 0.13 parts per million. It's you know bar barely a little over 20% of what the recommended rate is. So if you're using formula B at 200 parts per million, you're basically going to be um, most likely deficient if you don't have, if you have high relative mean, if you've got any of those environmental tr um, factors. And notice that formula um, company C um, basically has got 0.2. But now here's where the, um, we really need to focus. What is happening when we start reducing the parts per million? So for formulation C, we're looking at a 200 parts per million nitrogen, 150 parts per million nitrogen, 100 parts per million nitrogen, or 75 parts per million. Most plug producers, most young plant producers are probably in that 75 to 100 parts per million. Notice that dilution is the not necessarily our solution to good boron nutrition. So notice that at 200 parts per million, it's 0.2 parts per million. Remember, we want 0.5. If you drop it to 150 parts per million, it's 0.15. And of course, if you get down to 75 parts per million, it's 0.08. Now, if you're putting on 75 parts per million and it's dark and cloudy and, and kind of miserable, what would you expect the outcome to be, Bill? It's not going to be good because you're really, really boron deficient at that point. Correct. And not only that, but you're also um, deficient in a lot of your other micronutrients. Notice that the copper is virtually non-existent. So we really have to be aware of when we reduce the pre-mixed bag fertilizer that we are creating and setting ourselves up for a scenario where this can happen if the environment triggers the event. So what are we going to do about this? We're going to look very carefully and calculate what was it at 200 and 100 so we know. Now let's talk about adding boron. Now boron is not very soluble. When you get the different borons, whether it's borax, solubor, any of them, it's not. And of course um, when this work was originally done back in the 60s and 70s um, out in Colorado State, Joe Hannon realized that you had to boil boron. So we always boil boron in a glass container. Now, why do we put it in a glass container when we boil it? It's so we can see that it didn't all just fall to the bottom of the jar. 
okay? Biggest mistake growers make is that they take the boron and they dump it into their barrels, undiluted. And of course, what do you think happens when they basically dump the fertilizer into the bottom of the barrel? It's just going to sink to the bottom. And that's exactly what happened. And how much of that boron actually ends up on the plants? Not nearly as much as you are expecting. Right, like none. So if you're thinking that you're adding supplementing to get 0 0.5, 0 0.75, basically you're getting nothing. So it's really important to boil that boron, make sure that you've got it in solution. That's why we use a glass so we can see that it's in solution. Then pour it into that fertilizer barrel to be used. And at that point it will stay in solution and you'll know that you've got boron going out. So a lot of times people say, well, I've added boron. Well, you didn't add it correctly. So it's important to make sure that you're adding it in the correct way because mixing is important. Now, what about using stem? People say, well, I use stem. Well, there's a problem with stem. Stem has a very low boron amount. So if we were to go and add stem <clears throat> at a normal recommended rate of about right around four grams of stem running through a one to 100 injector, um, it does a nice job raising the iron, the manganese. It's a good source of iron and manganese. Um, but notice there's only 0 0.4, 0 0.1, 0 0.14 of boron in that 4 grams. So if you take and add that to your um, 0.2 at 200 parts per million, you're still at 0.34, which is, of course, still less more. than the 0.5 you want. Right. So you're still not putting on enough. That's why we basically need to um, um, look at it. So if you go and you try to add boron through stem at the right rain, what happens is you end up adding so much, um, you know, so if you add, you say if it's a 0.14 and you want to add three times as much, you're going to now start being putting on a lot of iron, a lot of manganese, a lot of other nutrients, and then you start running into excess micronutrients, so that kind of pushes it the other way. So in most cases, if you have a known boron problem, it's best to use a boron source. So let's talk about some of the different boron sources. There's boric acid, there's borac, boric oxide, there's sodium borate, which is um, either sold as solubore or borax. Um, it has different percents boron, which you have to know to calculate how much you need to achieve point, you know, to add 0.5 um, parts per million. And this is why you need to know what your water is so that you can take, if your water has 0.2 in it, because that's the water source you have, and you add 0.5, that gives you 0.75, and that might be the correct amount. Unfortunately, if you have, you're in a, one of those regions that has very high boron levels in the water, you have to be very careful that you don't add too much boron. So let's make sure that you're doing the testing and doing it correct because doing it right is cheap. Doing it wrong ends up costing you money, either because you don't have enough or you have way too much. Normally, people buy solubore or borax, one of those two, and either one is perfectly okay. Just make sure you boil it so it's in solution when you add it to them. So... Let's talk through the triggers. Um, high relative humidity is probably your single most common source of boron, um, um, boron atrophy, um, induced atrophy. Because if you have no, transport, no transpiration, you have no transport. Without any transport of the boron, calcium, and copper, you're going to have tip abortion. And the more high relative humidity um, conditions you have, the more problems you're going to have of, and the more tips that are going to be aborted or atrophied. 
Now, when does this high relative humidity occur? It occurs in the night. So really during the, and that's why it happens, why we always see it in week 10, is because how long are the nights, Bill, in that week 50 through week 7 and 8? Uh, long nights. Long, long nights, nights the short days, right. Yep, yep, yep. Good point, because that's a mistake people have. Well, it's perfectly okay. It's really real low relative humidity during the day, um, and the sun was shining, but then all of a sudden they end up with a 15, 16-hour night where they shut down the greenhouse, close the curtains to basically hold the heat in, and as you hold the heat in and it starts cooling down, the humidity jumps up because um, cool water holds um, doesn't hold as much water as warm air, so therefore the, um, it comes out as high humidity. So the humidity spikes, and then consequently you end up with conditions all night long where high relative humidity is basically limiting boron uptake. And the plants need to move water 24-7. They don't, you know, just like most people, they'll get up in the middle of the night and have a drink of water. Same with the plants. They need to move water all day long. Remember that low light conditions this is a good example where they're growing them under really low light conditions. They transplanted them hoping they would grow out. And of course it was overcast and dark. And so they basically had low transpiration and these plants just never really took off again. So, and also if you have limited root growth, so if you have poorly rooted plugs or liners, um, basically you're gonna have, you're setting yourself up for conditions. So making sure that you're using um, what, you know, dry, water to form, dry down to level two, so that you get that um, good root growth, especially right after transplant. Because a lot of times what growers will do is they'll go in and they'll basically water the plants in which they saturate the soil. Back up the bus here, water the plants in the plug tray or liner tray with you know 200 parts per million so that you've got a good balance micronutrient package with boron in that plug so you've got a little plug ready to go and you can then transplant that and then you don't have to water as much because that plug will then pop out it will basically be that spark plug that grows out into the soil around it which does have the boron if you haven't overwatered and leached it all out so making sure that you can create a condition where you have maximum root growth I had a grower who used to always have problems with their pan pansies in this in the summer high relative humidity at outside so that they weren't moving it and it was all because they went and they watered them in so they were saturated they didn't feed them right away and then they basically went into a death spiral we turned it all around by fertilizing the plugs before they were transplanted with a balanced fertilizer that had adequate boron copper and calcium in it and um, suddenly and didn't drench and soak the plants down after transplant watered them just up to a level four and basically the problem disappeared it's not a miracle, it's common sense growing. Make sure that your pH is right because high pH, high pH um, <clears throat> basically binds up um, boron. Avoid excess limestone. Um, remember that organic soils do tightly bind boron. So that just because you've um, added it doesn't mean that it's necessarily available. That's why we need to make sure we've got boron in the fertilizer solution. Remember, there's also the problem of free water on growing points. This is probably more common on um, impatience than anything else. And of course, what happens is, is that 
the water collects on the growing point. This is what happens late in the day where you water too late in the day or you've watered, you know, even if you water at three o'clock and you saturate the soil, impatience are water machines. I think we've talked about this in the past, Bill, um, where they basically, they're always pumping water and they're pumping water out through the um, hydrothodes, which are the little um, pores at the ends of the leaves. And they're just pumping water out. And of course, then it collects in the growing point. And when it collects in the growing point, what happens is that there's, it stops the transpiration. So that um, it's not that the water is sitting on there. It's basically, think of it as how well do you breathe, Bill, because you're a swimmer just like me. How well do you breathe when you're underwater? Yeah, not well at all. Right. And so the plants aren't breathing. They're not moving water through them. They basically, they're choking and they're not taking up calcium. They're not taking up boron. And so that's where you get um, the growing points to be um, atrophied. Um, and so you really need to be aware of, are, are we watering late in the day? Are we getting the soil too wet, which is a further... So really when you see that you have a tip atrophy program, stop and look at your environment first. See, are you creating an environment that is low light, high relative humidity? Um, are you overliming your soil? Is your pH too high? Are you creating an environment that is any one of them will trigger or all of them collectively will trigger an atrophy, atrophication of that growing point? So you really need to be thinking through that point. Then after you've solved those problems and you realize some of them you can fix, some of them you can't, that's life, that's called growing plants, that you then come back <clears throat> and add boron <clears throat> according to what we talked earlier. So does that give us a better idea, Bill, of what the whole problem is and how to fix it? I think so. And even going back to the, to the basics <laughs> of you know, getting a water analysis, know what you're starting with, understand your environmental conditions, understand the light levels that you're dealing with, and, and prepare. You know, if this is something that you've had a problem with in the past, it's probably a good idea to start supplementing boron no matter what. But you really have to know how much you're putting on and how much is being taken up by the plant. Exactly. And so I think, you know, as a closing thought is, is that this is an easy problem to fix because if it wasn't an easy problem to fix, guess what? You'd have it all year long. You know, if you think about it, by the time you get to week 12, week 15, you know, as you start really start growing and the season's starting to really roll, how often do you see um, tip atrophy? N virtually never. It's only really two times of the year that we see it. We see it early spring, prior to week 10, and then we see it in the pansy season um, in the south where it's really high humidity and they're growing them um, under very bad environmental conditions. And those are really kind of the two big times that we see this problem. So um, hopefully this has been real helpful. And Bill, are there other places they can get more information? There are, there are. And, uh, and, and once again, uh, we do want to encourage all the listeners and viewers to capitalize on all of the multimedia information we're sharing through Tech On Demand. We have a weekly newsletter that you can sign up for. We have more than 150 videos on Ball Seeds YouTube channel covering a range of topics from beginner to the most advanced. We have a podcast with more than 100 episodes, just like this one, 
and that you can go back into the archive and, and find all sorts of content related to the challenges and successes that you're having during just about every season. And for a peer-to-peer community, we have the Facebook group. All you have to do is search Greenhouse Tech Team in Facebook and uh, request membership to the group. It is a closed group. But once you demonstrate that you're a professional grower, I will be more than happy to let you in. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. We're on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just about all the different apps, and that way you'll never miss an episode. And Will... Before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention that the it sounds like your plants will grow out of this tip atrophy, but the challenge is is they're going to be delayed, right? right? And if you're trying to time a crop, the last thing you want is to have to add weeks to it or really have to have to go back in and do a lot more labor on it. So that that's really the reason why getting ahead of this is truly critical, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So it's one of one of those problems that you know I, I remind growers don't work so hard, work smarter, not harder. And this is one that by working smarter, knowing what you're doing, like you said, water test, soil test, um, making sure that your um, environment is right, solves the problem before there's a problem. So it basically makes it easy. So good luck. It's easy to do. It's easy to fix. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Will.